Hey, Jay, how's it going? It's going good, Mike. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. Uh, you had a good week? Well, pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm sort of... I'm sore today. I'm, I uh, was skiing most of the day yesterday, uh, which, of course, is, that's what we uh, Republicans do when we can't be yachting. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So uh, This is the weather uh, for it. Yeah, I know. It was like the first the first uh, not super, you know, sub-zero wind chills. Uh, we were able to get out, and I think I sort of overdid it. So I'm, I'm, I'm recovering quietly in my uh, wood-paneled study uh, at, at as, age, as we discuss the week's events. You know, at that age, we're overdoing it to – can can be a, a, an occupational hazard of life, I suppose. Yep. So it was an interesting week for me. I actually had the entire week off, so it was sort yeah. of a uh, early spring break from uh, uh, from my work, Northern Kentucky due, University. Due to global warming, I, I would suppose. <laughs> yeah. Due to you had the week off for climate change. Yes, we had the week off due to climate change. First it was snow, then it was cold, and um, one thing led to another, and I was able to stay at home all week. So, but, you know, nice. I was I was advocating all week, actually, for uh, NKU to, to close for the children, really. Right. That's, that was my concern about the children. It is. It is all about the children. I think it's very important because I do believe they are, in fact, our our future. And that isn't a Bobby Christina Brown. I, I couldn't agree more. Yes. So um, anyway, uh, what's uh What's been going on in politics this week that you'd like to talk about? Well, you know, the, the big thing uh, for me has been uh, discussion of ISIS, and and I feel like uh, we're Which, finally sort of getting serious about this in terms of the national conversation, and you know it kills me to say things like national conversation. Oh, it should. Um, but there was a piece in The Atlantic uh, that came out this week, mm-hmm. right, and, right. Uh, you know, The Atlantic is, is not uh, – it is not – Fox News. It's not National Review. It's not uh, um, uh, any of the various, uh, you know, red state type uh, uh, like websites. Red state, sure. Yeah. <laughs> For example, red state. Uh, and and it was a, a very lengthy piece, and it's discussing about the the ideology and the, the religious tenets of uh, of ISIS, and sort of asked the question, uh, you know, is is ISIS uh, Islamic, and and the Conclusion is, yeah, they're they're pretty damn Islamic. Mm-hmm. Um, Old school. Yeah, that's exactly. The, the, that was kind the, of the point. Is they're yeah. they're the they're the real hardcore sort of Islamic people. Yeah, and I want to you know sort of sort of counter that or, or, or compare that with the increasingly bizarre uh, uh, statements from coming from the Obama administration uh, that look this isn't Islam, this isn't you know and so forth, which is. It, it seems to be strange, and as the article would point out, it seems to be counterproductive. Uh, because to to really, if we're going to put together a strategy against these folks, uh, we need to understand what it is they're after and where they're coming from. All right, and and it seemed to me in, in my reading of the article, what they're after is they they sort of like to kill all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so there's <laughs> that. That's that's the sort of troubling thing, and, and the Atlantic article points out this is this is much different than a. Uh, Al Qaeda or or other uh, terrorist threats that we faced before, in that it, core to their this belief system, um, which I mean they tie directly to the, the their reading of the of the Quran, uh, is that uh, in the end times there's going to be an Islamic caliphate, uh, which is necessarily sort of a a state type entity that controls territory. Mm-hmm. 
so it's much different than the Al Qaeda model. Uh, you have sort of cells of terrorists who just go and blow stuff, stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. generally, um, you naturally can uh, have control. And and according to their belief system, once you have this state, then there sort of becomes an obligation uh, to start doing things like beheading apostates, right. crucifixions. Uh, they mentioned yeah. that. That's a uh, and and oh, slavery and, and all these things, all these things sort of come become permitted, uh, and it's tied to the fact that you're holding territory, and I think that's that's a key thing that the militarily makes a difference, mm-hmm. uh, and and why we need to think of ISIS differently than we think of other terrorists, and also why we need to, to look at what are the Islamic beliefs that uh, that they're following. Um, Right, and, and, and I think it it goes back to that, uh, and a number of folks have pointed this out. It goes back to that assumption, that often mistaken assumption that we make that other people think exactly the same way we do, in kind right. of a Western secular sort of way. And and it never occurs to a, a lot of people, at least, that they might actually be serious about their religion. And yeah, and, 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 you know, and it's it, it's yeah, a funny thing too. There's sort of the idea in the West so often that when uh, countries, um, states, or, or even individual groups go out and, and do something violent, uh, so forth, uh, and then chalk it up to some other reason that they're being somehow insincere. Right. Uh, you know, no, this isn't really about religion. It's about grabbing territory. No, it's not. It's, you know, it's about money. It's about, um, but no, these guys, it's, it's about religion. But, but I, I think in a way, if it's sort of my take, at least, is it's sort of a, a false dichotomy, at least it can be. I mean, I think the people who say that it's you know, all about unemployment and uh, oppression and colonialism, <laughs> I think that that's just, that's just flat out wrong. But, but I also think that they have at least a little bit of a point where people who are in those sort of situations, you know, they're, they're idle, they have nothing to do, they're disgruntled, maybe they're more receptive to oh, I would like No, that. I would agree. And, and, I was going to say I would actually – I don't want to say I'm going to def- defend uh, Marie Harf. Um, as if our listeners are probably familiar, the, um, the really cute blonde uh, State Department spokesperson. Uh, Wears glasses very well. Yeah, she does. It's important. Um, we'll, we'll, post a, you know, we'll post a picture. In the we will. Notes. I think we ought to have sort of a, a like a ladies of the State Department or now the, the White House. Um, Wow, that's uh, sexist. I, yeah, that's that's an and, idea. Well, I know it is. It is. Um, but that, that, me, well, that, that would be fitting coming from the right. Okay. Okay. I've got some. Yeah, you know how I am. Um, but uh, you know, she of course made the statements that, uh, uh, and I want to I want to go back to some of the, all that she said. She didn't just say that um, ISIS needs jobs, but she started by saying, you know, you can't win a war. You don't win a war by killing people. I, I think um, you do. But you've been in a war. Uh, I, I didn't kill anyone, but I, I'm pretty sure that that was sort of the want. point. Yeah, is, yeah we, we did, we did win. I, did. I, I like to think I played no small part in that, you know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and actually, ironically, uh, Patton was on uh, uh, Turner Classic Movies last night and sort of the statement about, you know, the, no poor son of a bitch ever won a war by dying for his country. The, the point is to make the other poor son of a bitch die for his. Yes. his. This is why we have wars. Yeah. Um, and it's it's. It's tantamount to saying, you know, you don't you don't win a football game by scoring points. Yeah, and, and so exactly. Forth. It's it's a ridiculous a ridiculous statement. But she made that statement, and then followed up saying, yes, we can't kill our way out of this war, uh, and you need to go back to the root causes. Now, I, I 
and the funny thing was it was Chris Matthews who even sort of tried to rein her in a little wow, bit, and, you really? know, and say, look, Marie, come on, you really want to go? Uh, and she was she was all in. And, but but look, I'll defend her on the the extent that you say, uh, to some extent, people who are unemployed are are uh, uh, discriminated against uh, are are sort of lost or tend to be more fertile ground for sure. extremist ideology. Um, but, but by the same by the same token, if you look at, at, at these folks, uh, religion is the the biggest part of it. And and whatever however they got there, however they were the fertile ground, uh, the ideology uh, is is what matters. Exactly. I mean, I think there are two parts of it. One is trying to disrupt the recruitment and the pipeline, and so there maybe some of the economic type things might have some sort of an effect. But once you get people who are committed to this ideology. Uh, giving him a good job at Walmart or something like that—that's not going to cut it. Exactly. Yeah. And so we're we're dealing with I think two distinct problems, and and uh, I, I, it's pretty clear at least to me that we don't really have any uh, great options here. Uh, but but certainly at least in the article, the, the argument was in part that this group, even though they are a, a lot more dramatic, certainly, and some of the things they do are a lot more unsettling. They actually maybe pose less of a threat to the United States than Al Qaeda did, or does. At least, at least initially. At least initially, because they're yeah. they're focusing more on their backyard, essentially, right. where Al Qaeda wanted to, you know, well, we know what Al Qaeda wanted to do because they did some of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's it's more about uh, yes, uh, securing their own territory first. Uh, and it was interesting in the article too. There's a discussion about other. Uh, Islamic uh, uh, fundamentalist type groups uh, who we look at as you know might be a, a competition for ISIS who who believe that uh, the time for the caliphate is not now which which is a little unsettling because these folks are sort of like look we're really not on board with the beheadings just yet right. but, yeah, <laughs> give it a little time yeah it's yeah yeah um, uh, but you know, it may be our choices are uh, bad or worse. And, yeah, I, I think so. But and beheading tomorrow beats a beheading today. Absolutely, so. absolutely. And so, I mean, a lot of folks have pointed out that President Obama has criticized President Obama for not being willing to use the phrase Islamic terrorism or Muslim terrorism or something like that. And he just Islamic it, extremism is what is very, what we'd like him to say. Exactly. So, and I think there's a pretty obvious reason why he doesn't want to say it is because there are a lot of people who in in the United States who don't like that term and he'd rather not piss him off. I, I think he knows. I, I think it's ridiculous to argue that he doesn't believe that this is Islamic extremism or Muslim extremism. Of course he knows that, but he he doesn't see any political advantage to saying it. Hmm. See, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm almost a little bit Concerned that, that he really does believe that it's not uh, uh, an Islamic extremism, that he really sees this as, or he sees extremism as any sort of religious fundamentalism. So, for, you know, to the extent that, yeah, he compares it with uh, the Crusades uh, and so forth. So, so I give I give Obama more credit for duplicity, and you give him, or you give him more credit for just I give more credit for duplicity you give him more credit for intelligence maybe or lack of intelligence. Uh, no I, I would say for being uh, honestly uh, insane honestly insane <laughs> okay all right well I guess that's a good way to put it yeah I, I think he knows what's going on and it's just a just one in a series of political moves but anyway so clearly not many very 
very good options in this area. That's no, for sure. but I, I would recommend to all of our listeners to go back and read that Atlantic article because I, I do think it, it's uh, it's it's one of the few of the times where you say, hey, this is this is an important article. Yes. Uh, that will change how people think about things. Yeah, so. I'll make sure that goes up in the show notes. So. Well, okay. What else? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, okay. So there we had a momentary uh, a momentary uh, technical difficulty, but we're back. <laughs> I'm sure no one was, was uh, terribly upset, I hope, but we are back. So anyways, moving on from uh, from ISIS, I wanted to k- kind of come back to the domestic front. And there's some big news in, in, in the U.S. Uh, on Thursday, Walmart announced that they would be increasing wages for about half that. a million of their employees. Now let me let me get this straight, Mike. Did, did the government tell them they had to increase wages, or did no, they Jay, just decide no, to do this? No, the government did not. They did that their very own selves. Huh? It does happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the details are that uh, by uh, this time next year, the uh, the minimum wage for all their employees will be at least ten dollars an hour. Okay. And so the big question, of course, was, well, why are they doing this? And why do you think they're doing it? Well, I think they're doing it because uh, there, there are, I think, at least two reasons. May, there might even be three, which probably means there are at least half a dozen. But right. the main reasons are, number one, the labor market's tightening. Uh, you know, a few years ago, unemployment was closer to 10 percent, uh, you know, 9, 10 percent. Now it's uh, right around 5 percent, which is at a level we uh, sometimes call full employment, which is about as low as it gets with people going back and forth between jobs and so forth. So when you get a tightening labor market, uh, employers have to pay more for, for people. Although I, I do think, uh, just before you go forward, I would put an asterisk by that uh, unemployment number. Uh, just based on the uh, workforce um, participation participation rate, rates, yes. Yeah. So, meaning but yes, but go on. Yeah, and so meaning that fewer people are actually looking for jobs, and in part that's that might be because we have more older people who are retiring. But part of it isn't that at all. Part of it's what are called discouraged workers. That's a good right. point. But I think a related reason is that uh, Walmart, and this is kind of tied into this, which is why I used the word related reason, uh, is that. Uh, Walmart is having trouble keeping people. Uh, okay. And so, you know, job training costs. You wouldn't think that it, it takes a lot of job training to qualify to work at Walmart. And, okay, it's not like being, you know, a nuclear engineer or something like that. But it still does require some time and effort in training. And, uh, you know, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of churn. Uh, yeah. And, and so Walmart would like to not train people and then lose them. And uh, you, you pay people a little bit more, and they're a little more interested in sticking around. And so I think that's part of it as well. Okay. And I think a third thing is that Walmart's kind of seen where minimum wage laws are in the states, and there are a number of states where they're talking about raising it or there are minimum wage increases that will be going to effect. And since they we're going to have to already raise their minimum wages in those states, they might as well do it, announce it preemptively and get some good press for it. Well, and, and not only that, it sort of uh, takes the wind out of the sails, to use one of my Republican yachting terms, um, nice. of the uh, of the folks who would push for minimum wage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, absolutely. It, uh, uh, because I think there, there would be an argument if, if you're Walmart that even if minimum wage, you increase and the minimum wage ratchets up, there is still going to be then a, another ratcheting effect. Right, right. Um, 
Well, and here's here's what I I would say. I mean, uh, my very succinct response to all that would be, uh, God bless America. Um, <laughs> the market works is the, the, exactly the uh, response to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 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 uh, the free market works. Um, and I, I do agree. As someone who, who's worked, uh, I've worked in the public sector and worked in the private sector. Uh, the public sector, it, it does make a big difference, uh, churn rate. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are lots of expenses that go into hiring and, uh, and terminating employees. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't always, you know, most folks don't realize it, but yes, it's, it's huge from the advertising of jobs to interviewing to training. Uh, that's all time you're taking away from something else that uh, someone else might be doing. I, I, um, I, and I think on this point, I have a story for you. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a story that a lot of people have heard, but a lot of people have misinterpreted. Um, uh, back a little over 100 years ago, actually, so it's like history as well right. as a story. Uh, in, in 1913, uh, Henry, Henry Ford needed a workforce of around 14,000 people. Mm-hmm. To get that workforce at the prevailing wage in the auto industry, which was then uh, allowed around 235 a day, he okay. had to hire over 52,000 people just to keep a workforce of around 14,000. Okay. So that's a tremendous amount of churn. Yeah. And so what Henry Ford did in 1914 is he nearly doubled the prevailing wage. He offered a $5 a day wage for assembly line workers. And what happened? His churn rate went way down. Now, and his sales went up because he was then able to sell his own products to his workers. Yeah. And now that that second part, see, that's the part that the left tends to focus on a lot. And that's actually not – that's sort of the, the the part of the story that's not as true at least uh, in, that, in that the reason he did it wasn't that he thought he could somehow – cannibalize his own profits so he could sell more cars to his own workers. It, it as a matter of economics, it doesn't work out that's too well. Wow. Yeah. But, sounds ugly. but he did it because it made good business sense because of the cost of hiring and training workers. And and okay. so uh, that I think is you know really important and something that's uh, often overlooked. So Walmart didn't do this to you know do something for the middle class or the lower middle class. Walmart's spending like a billion dollars on right. this. And, and the idea that some people suggested that uh, anti-Walmart protests have had anything to do with this or, or anything more than an insignificant amount is just, I think, silly. Uh, protests don't work that well, certainly uh, not, not for a company as big as Walmart. So they're doing it because it's a good business move for them. Right. And, and to me, I would say, uh, that's absolutely wonderful because that's exactly what businesses ought to do. Absolutely. The idea that a, a business would say we want to do something because it's good for the middle class or something else, yeah. uh, I, I find troubling. Oh, don't uh, even get Because they, also, they yeah. also have to do something that's good for all the, the millions of, of stock owners uh, of Walmart mm-hmm. uh, and all the, the little old ladies who have Walmart uh, uh, securities that are somehow in a, a pension sure. uh, or in a mutual fund and, and so forth. Uh, yeah, the, the idea that businesses have some sort of a social responsibility is, it's, I think, just just ridiculous, uh, publicly traded companies. Anyway. But, well, good. That's refreshing to hear coming from you. So, so definitely good economic news. And uh, a happy thing for, like I said, around half a million uh, Walmart employees. So it's it's nice okay. to talk about some good news every once in a while. But but I think we don't want to you know get too much into that. So let's, let's talk about something a little more uh, uh, contentious. Uh, immigration has been yeah, in the news lately, right? 
this was would make it a little tougher for a lot of uh, uh, folks who are now illegal immigrants, and I'll use that term because, as uh, the judge who wrote the uh, the opinion, uh, that's that's the term that you use. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, if you have folks who are, are here uh, in violation of, uh, of federal law, um, which, rem- which reminds me of the Simpsons episode of immigration. Do you ever see that one? I don't think so. Where, and, and, and Mo ends up getting deported. Oh, um, gosh, that sounds and, good. Uh, and Marge, you know, he was an illegal immigrant, and uh, Marge Simpson notes that he's more, more getting sent off on the boat. His only crime was violating U.S. law. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, but, uh, this is, of course, the, uh, it has to do with, uh, the executive order, which interestingly, the, the judge, this is, uh, district court judge Andrew Hanen, uh, out of Texas, um, points out there was really ever an executive order. Did you know that? Well, the, yeah, why don't you kind of explain that briefly? Well, you know, typically an executive order is something that's actually issued by the White House, by the executive, and says here is uh, policy as to uh, this, you know, whatever the topic happens to be. Uh, this, instead of being an executive order signed by the president, uh, it was actually sort of a, a memorandum that came from uh, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, uh, regarding internal uh, running of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, again, the, the difference is sort of academic, um, but, uh, but because I'm interested in, like, sure. academic legal stuff, that's that's why I just thought it was kind of funny. But, and if our listeners want to let, you know, some smart to other people, they can, of course, raise that, well, it was a really executive order. Well, if I understand <laughs> it correctly, though, this, uh, this ruling had nothing to do, really, with the Constitution. It was really about the, the fact that uh, the Obama administration did not follow the provisions of something called the Administrative Procedures Act, in which, uh, and yes. that calls for if you're going to make a change to administrative procedures, you need to uh, post a notice and allow people to comment. And there's a there's a the procedure, as the right. name would suggest, <laughs> before you can actually implement it. Right, and it's the you know of course this this is came up on this is not the final. Uh, decision. This came up on a preliminary injunction, mm-hmm. uh, which there were the, the plaintiffs in this case, which are a consortium of states, uh, 26, 26 um, yeah. um, uh, challenged uh, the, the, uh, the implications of the uh, Jay Johnson um, rules, saying uh, exactly that. Yes, you can't go into effect one because it, it's violating the uh, uh, APA. Uh, two. Um, a preliminary injunction, if anyone wants to know this, uh, the thing you have to show is, one, you're likely to succeed on the merits at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Uh, two, there's going to be irreparable harm um, if if this uh, something goes, that's goes going to happen effect. is sure. not enjoined. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three, that it's sort of equitable to all parties. Mm-hmm. And there's a fourth. Uh, well, I won't get into all that. Anyway, uh, what the judge said was, First of all, there was a standing question. They said, yes, the states have standing because uh, they're going to be called upon to do other administrative services for uh, these immigrants. Um, once they got over that hurdle, right. uh, the court says, you know, here's the problem. It's not a question of uh, prosecutorial discretion 
which is how the Obama administration has decided it or, or uh, described it. And uh, just to be just to be clear on that, that, I think the the idea there is is that um, they're not changing the law. At least their argument is they're not changing the law. They're just deciding not to, uh, not so much not to enforce it, but just to sort of delay enforcing it. Well, uh, sort of. The the idea is that if you're a, a prosecutor or sort of probably any executive. Uh, you have a right to sort of prioritize um, those things that you do uh, within the within the confines of your budget and then the availability and the importance of the certain actions to the public. Uh, the judge uh, said, listen, if you're talking about prosecutorial discretion and simply uh, um, prioritizing which uh, immigrants you go after, uh, isn't that what the the government's been doing for for years now. Yeah, and and it's, it, prosecutorial discretion is one thing, but uh, an actual formal policy that says you can apply for a program that will delay you from being deported for multiple years. Yes, that sounds a lot more like changing the law. And that's exactly what that's exactly what the court said. Uh, that listen, it's one thing just to say we're going to leave these folks alone. It's quite another to say we're going to pre- pre- create a process whereby uh, they can become documented and, and have a, a legal status uh, here. And that that does go beyond uh, simply just uh, that, and, and it keys into uh, the APA. So I mean, my my sense is I think the court got it right. Um, so so what happens now? Well, what happens now is the Obama administration is appealing this uh, preliminary uh, injunction to the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And my sense is it's it's probably a losing fight there. One, I'm not positive that, that uh, they even have what's called a final appealable order. Uh, typically, preliminary injunctions are not appealable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the courts, you know, say, look, we'll we'll hash this all out once it's once right. it's done, but we're not going to step in right now. Um, second, the whole uh, point of the preliminary injunction is to preserve the status quo. Mm-hmm. And the status quo is, uh, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Right. We're not issuing these things. So, uh, for that reason, I would say it's, he's unlikely to succeed on appeal. Uh, and the third reason, it's the Fifth Circuit, which is, tends to be more conservative. Uh, you know, you can never say for sure what, what a court's gonna do. Right. Uh, uh, and, and also, I, I, and also I would say, uh, appellate courts on an issue of, of like a preliminary injunction will tend to be more deferential uh, to the right. uh, trial court. Because it's not the final decision, and, and like you said, it preserves the status quo and so exactly. forth. So, yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. So so this is certainly an ongoing thing. The Obama administration was not happy in, in their statement. They said that uh, the district court's decision wrongly prevents these lawful common-sense policies from taking effect, at which point I – Blew a gasket. The, the word common sense in, in political discourse is one of those one of those things that always just sets me off. If, right. if I hear that word, I just think I just think you are full of it, essentially, because right. it basically is just a nice way of a nice way, a subtle way of accusing your opponents of having no common sense. Well, and I would you know what troubles me a little bit more is that it's 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 kind of duplicitous because and the judge points this out. The policies themselves are not particularly at issue. Right. Uh, what's at issue is the procedure right. by which they were, were put in place. Yeah, and so one would one would think that the Obama administration could presumably uh, issue 
this uh, this policy through the Administrative Procedure Act approved method, and then that would take away that objection of, of the judge. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, mean, I think it, it raises a different question. I think there's still going to be the core question of uh, is this something that can be done administratively as right. opposed by the opposed so, congressional action. So it could be enjoined, but then it would be enjoined on different grounds. Different reason, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So I'm sure that we have not heard the end of this. That's for sure. No. Okay. Moving on. You know, we we were talking about earlier the. Uh, Obama administration response to ISIS, and uh, one person who's had a lot to say about that recently is former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Uh, he, I'm sure you've heard of that, right, Jay? I've heard of that. Yeah. Uh, he was at a. You can, uh, take the, you can take the boy out of New York, but you can't take there the boy out of New York. Yeah. I think. In fact, he was in New York at a uh, Scott Walker rally on Wednesday night, and he said, among other things, uh, that President Obama does not love America. Well, and and I'll say, Mike, I'll let you go first on this because I I want to know what you think of that. Uh, uh, first of all, sort of sort of on the is that out of bounds fair statement, but then also uh, on the merits. Well, I think it suggests that Rudy Giuliani has an insight into President Obama's soul that's really impressive. I I didn't even know they were friendly. So uh, I I really just think it was uh, a former politician who makes quite a Bit of money being, uh, you know, speaking to right, right of center groups, just uh, seizing the moment to raise his brand image and uh, the possibility of making a little more money. I think that's the main part. The other part is I, I do think he is legitimately upset about President Obama's policy in the Middle East, and, and, and understandably so. But I, I think it was essentially a, a cheap shot that uh, was done for more than anything else for publicity purposes. I, 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 I don't know it necessarily done for publicity purposes. I mean, it was done at a, a, uh, a, a private fundraiser, as I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Scott Walker described it as sort of, hey, we're in New York. Uh, you know, yeah. sort of a, What's a Giuliani, Giuliani or, sure. you know, uh, hey, screw you. Um, uh, right. You know, New York right. kind of response. Sure. Um, but on the merits, what, what do you think about that? Do you think Obama loves America? I don't have any reason to think that he doesn't, but I, I think it's a I think really? it's a ridiculous question. I honestly don't care if President Obama loves America. What I care is if he does a competent job and he's accountable to the voters. Okay. And so he uh, could hate America. That's he could have an that's evil a, plot. I don't. It, to me, that's a, that's a red herring. I'll tell you, this is something that, that I thought about a little bit. And uh, first of all, I. Is it uh, politically out of bounds to say something like that, or you can't question someone's patriotism? I think, well, of course you can. Sure, um, why not? Uh, and, and lots of times you ought to. And Obama certainly did that to his his uh, predecessor. And I mean, I mean, he, he accused Mitt Romney of, of murdering uh, uh, people. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, that's, that's um, pretty serious. But what I think is Giuliani misses right what he's that. Um, it strikes me almost is that. I don't know so much as whether Obama loves America or doesn't love America. He but likes it, but does he like like it? Exactly. You know? Does he even like America? Um, oh, I, I, again, I, I think it's a silly question. Who, no, but it's a silly question because I think you can look back at, at George Bush, you could look at Bill Clinton, and you could look at another variety of, of our presidents and say, 
Yeah, they they like America. They like what this is about. They like. Oh, and we, uh, we we can say that because of course we 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 know who they are when the cameras. I mean, it's all to me. It's it's all just image and posturing and so forth. And that whole that whole patriotism argument, I think, is just is just bullshit. I really do. Obama doesn't even pretend to like America. I think I think that's absolutely wrong. I think he definitely pretends to like America. <laughs> But I think his his uh, you know his presentation, uh, the way he presents himself to the world, is just much more cerebral, and a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people like to see something more emotional, whether it's a George W. Bush type thing or whether it's a uh, Bill Clinton type of thing. And so I think that just doesn't play well with some people. But does that mean he doesn't love America? I, uh, who the hell knows? Sure, well, no, Rudy Giuliani. Sure remember, remember Michelle Obama saying on multiple occasions, the first time she's ever been proud of America was was you know when her husband was nominated for the presidency. Um, not that, I mean, that's a pretty high bar. She's not the president. <laughs> she's not the president. She's the president's my wife. My husband was nominated president. So that may have a that may have a serious effect on her. What is she doing? Like getting people to grow well, vegetables and eat arugula or something? Whatever. I don't know, but. But no, I think the, the whole Obama thing is there's always just been this sense that, uh, you know, you feel like he's, he's just terribly disappointed in all of this. Uh, See, I don't get that at all. But really? maybe that's because we're coming at this from two very different uh, two very different ideological viewpoints. Not very different, but different, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the feeling like, you know, if Obama were to go to the Olympics and watch a soccer game of the U.S. versus, I don't know, like Costa Rica – who do you think you'd root for? You know what I mean? I, gotta, I just have I, know, I, 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 I like, totally well, disagree with you. I totally disagree with you. I think your I think your right wing prejudices are just infecting you on this, whereas I am completely unbiased in my estimation well, of President we'll, Obama. We'll see. I think we can we all sort of keep a running tab of, of things where I sense that Obama doesn't like America. And again, I'm not going to say doesn't love America. Um, but uh, it's, it's he can love like, it, but not like he's it. Just a little embarrassed by the whole thing, you know what I okay, mean? It's okay, okay. Now they'll see there. I think, and I think that that highlights an important difference, oftentimes between liberals and conservatives, and that uh, that the more traditional conservative or liberal view, I'm sorry, would be that you know uh, a love of country, but an appreciation that uh, the United States uh, is is flawed in some cases has been deeply flawed. And I think liberals have a tendency to focus more on those flaws than conservatives do. I, I no, I think I would think that's right. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's I think it's healthy to have both of those. Right. You know, as kind of as kind of a balancing that sort of uncritical love it or leave it type of view that some extreme conservatives hold, I think is is unhealthy and ridiculous. Just as I think that that sort of uncritical uh, America is evil. The sort of Howard's an approach to history. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous as well. So, so anyway, and I don't right. think I don't think Obama has either of those approaches. I think he's somewhere in the, in the middle. But as a liberal, yeah, I I think I would agree that he is more uh, focused on what he sees as the flaws in America than say someone like Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. No, I, I think we'd we'd be in agreement there. Um, anyway. But. Uh, well, you know, one thing, one thing else I think, I think I, we can agree on, and I want to mention this just yeah. in passing, is um, 
you know, we talked about Marie Harf earlier making the sort of ridiculous uh, jobs for ISIS mm-hmm. uh, sort of argument. Right. Um, the other, uh, my, my favorite uh, State Department uh, crush, um, Jen Psaki, is going uh, to be going to the White House communication staff. It's almost as if there's some sort of a physical appearance sort of guideline or, or profile that they have for spokespersons, spokespeople. Well, in, in one sense, I'd say that's in some ways that's maybe kind of good because oh, that's what the private sector does, right? I mean, uh, yeah. um, you know, the whole idea is you want attractive people out there representing uh, whatever your product is. Um, before the, I'm trying to think the the prior uh, State Department spokesperson, uh, Karen, I'm blanking on her last name. Uh, she she was an older woman, sort of mid. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but you know. Yeah, when when people got up and uh, said something, you know, we were serious. Um, the sense with uh, Jen and Marie is is uh, you know they're sort of saying that um, listen, some uh, not all of the sorority sisters have uh, RSVP'd to the formal, sure, and uh, sure. there's going to be trouble if they don't. It sounds like a um, critique of Fox News as well, sort of yeah. extension. But of course, Fox News is is a private news uh, organization. Uh, who and I think I would say most all news people like to put good-looking people out there, whereas this is the, the government spokespeople. But let me just—I just want to point out first of all, and and I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but you know, it's our show. And we'll say sure. Not, but we decide um, what's appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but I will certainly miss seeing uh, Jen uh, Saki around. Um, just because she's absolutely adorable, and I, I got a crush on her, and, and you know, it's probably you know, it, it would probably never work out. Well, um, you don't know, you don't know. Well, and, you know, and I sort of thought about this. Yeah, she would obviously be a, you know, probably being that I'm married, I'm not sure what her marital status is, and yeah, you might want to I haven't like looked it up. Because you know, Dan, if you're listening, I'm not like you know a stalker, stalker. It's um, good to know. I'm but sure. I, I would expect that you know, working for Carrie and now the Obama administration, she'd have sort of uh, liberal progressive views to uh, 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 on on relationships and would probably view oh, yeah, a lot of yeah, the I rules thought. that go with marriage as just part of the, the patriarchy. Okay. Um, so well, this, is uh, all, know, this is all good to know. Um, yeah. So what I'm sort of saying is, is if Jen Psaki, uh, you know doesn't hook up with me, the patriarchy wins. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's that's uh, food for thought, really. So uh, but anyway, no, I. I uh, you know, my, my feeling towards her, and this is, is something that just drives me nuts, is it's almost like, you know the girl, like, you, you knew in college who, she was really cute and really nice, but she was just going out with a really jerk boyfriend. Oh, yeah, sure. And, Absolutely. and uh, a guy who treated her badly uh, and, you know, would make her go up in front of uh, crowds of people and, and say absolutely ridiculous things. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, but, but having flashbacks, but yes, and, okay, and, you know, go ahead. You, you know, would, would feel like, uh, wow, uh, you know, I, I could just treat her so much better. But anyway, that, that's my thing, and I want to say congratulations to Jen to going to the White House. I hope she still gets uh, plenty of screen time. Uh, because I'm I'm completely shallow on those things. As you were as you were, as you were talking, I could almost picture the John Hughes movie that uh, that, that would be made out of you know between you and Jen Psaki. The, the, the well, you know what? Maybe maybe that's it because she does a sort of like a Molly Ringwald kind of. Oh, well, there you go. See, she hit that the redhead kind of. Yeah, that could be it. That could be. Maybe it. that's why I'm getting sort of flashbacks. But well, but um, Jen, anyway, Jen, I, I do I do want to say that I I think it's. 
you know, a lot of conservatives have uh, taken a hatchet to uh, Jen and and, uh, and Murray. Um, and I feel maybe a little unfairly because they're spokespeople and uh, they're just out there saying what they're, they're told to say. Um, I've, I've, I have on occasion been in positions where I have to represent uh, uh, positions that are, are not as strong as I would like them to be. <laughs> maybe have to make. Right. Uh, some sort of uh, statements that uh, I know, geez, this sounds sort of ridiculous, but you got what you got, and uh, you've got to uh, serve your clients. So, uh, so anyway, congratulations, Jen, and uh, uh, you know, if you're listening, um, you know, you know where to find me. So anyway, that's what else you got? I- uh, well, I think one final thing I think we saw time for it is uh, uh, this last week the American Political Science Association, my people, uh, right. came out with a new ranking of U.S. presidents. And you can probably, I bet you could probably guess, oh, the top, I bet you could guess the top, let's try try the top five. Who would you say? All right. I, I would say, I mean, Lincoln always scores well in these things. One for one. Very good. Uh, I would say Franklin Roosevelt always scores well. Um, yeah, but he, he came in in third. Okay. Uh, I would say... Uh, well, it's probably Washington. Yeah, Washington. Lincoln Washington. and Washington are kind of a traditional one, too. So you got Lincoln, Washington, Roosevelt. Uh, I would say Andrew Jackson. Oh, you're kind of getting down there. But, uh, well, let me, help, let me help you out a little bit. And then, then of course, Clinton and Obama. Yeah. <laughs> In the most recent poll, it was Lincoln followed by Washington, then the two Roosevelts, Franklin okay. and Theodore, and at number five, Thomas Jefferson. Okay. And uh, uh, some discussion about this uh, earlier I'd read that uh, did the guy who did uh, carved, sculpted, I guess it would be sculpted, Mount Rushmore, get it right? Right. And, uh, and you mean on the merits of, of the people? Yeah, as they look pretty much exactly like they It really does look like Lincoln. Yeah, they, it was very impressive, especially working, you know, in that in that medium. But, uh, yeah. no, were they actually the four best presidents? And, of course, the presidents on Mount Rushmore are Lincoln Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, and Jefferson. Right. And the conclusion of this, therefore, was that, well, they got it mostly right. And that uh, uh, FDR, if we were going to make a modern uh, Mount Rushmore, you would just replace Jefferson with FDR. Oh, that sounds terrible. I think that's a wonderful idea. Thomas Jefferson was an awful human being, a horrific man, an amazing hypocrite. I just, he makes my skin crawl. I gotta hate Jefferson. I wish Hamilton oh. just would have. I, Washington. Well, those are, like, Washington, those are those are those are personal attacks. They are. Those, they uh, are. Ad hominem. There. I mean, if you've got care. an actual issue here with, with Washington uh, hated him. Washington, Washington hated him. Washington hated him. Oh, my God. And Adams hated him. And everyone, everyone hated him because he was a hateful, awful man. He shouldn't be on Mount Rushmore. If I could, I would go up there today with a jackhammer and take him off of Mount Rushmore. Thomas Jefferson, awful, awful human being. Let, let me put it this way. If, if it hadn't been for Thomas Jefferson, uh, Mount Rushmore would be in France uh, I think that's that's something else okay. to think about. Now, I'm not saying that Thomas Jefferson didn't do some good things. I'm just saying he was an awful human being. That's all. That's all. So, yay, but, Louisiana Purchase. I get it. That's wonderful. But he was an awful person. And I would so rather see a couple of Roosevelts up there than uh, Thomas Jefferson. Anyway, that's just 
Just and me. well, I, you know, uh, I would also point out Jefferson was was the guy who uh, helped insist that uh, we have a Bill of Rights in our Constitution that is modeled on uh, Virginia's Bill of Rights with the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom to the press, uh, Fifth Amendment rights, all those things. Uh, which we see as the cornerstones of, uh, of American liberty, uh, were things that were put in uh, by Jefferson. And I would point out the, the we'll have a, to talk about this sometime. But but those those ideas, those limitations, um, uh, it's it's something we think that it's it's a big part of America. But it's almost like if we don't have that, that's the first thing that that a government will take. Well, and so that's why I say Jefferson. Jefferson stay up there. If I had to take somebody down, it would probably be Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, take, just so wrong. Like You're so wrong. He's my favorite president. In fact, I'm staring at a TR bust right now. I have a little bit of thing for Teddy Roosevelt. Well, again, are you are you are you going on personal cool guys? Guys would be cool to have a beer with, uh, or you are saying as what they did as president. I'm saying what he did. I, I'm saying you cannot find a better more impressive non-wartime president than Teddy Roosevelt. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. That's what I'll I'm to, saying. I'll have, to, I'll have to think on that a little bit. So many reasons. But anyway. Better than Reagan? Much better than Reagan. Oh, Much my God, better. Mike. That's, that's, Reagan, wow. seriously overrated. Not as overrated as, say, Wilson, but overrated. Right. No, I would argue Wilson is an absolutely horrible human being. Well, yeah, exactly. There's a horrible human being. Incredibly overrated as a president, too. Well, it's nice to say that we could end on something we agree on, that Woodrow Wilson, bad guy, bad president. Yep. yep. All right. Don't don't put him up anywhere. No, no, he definitely shouldn't be on anything, for sure. All right, well, I think that wraps it up for this week. So uh, we will uh, see you again uh, next week for our uh, next exciting, action-packed episode of The Politics Guys. And so I will see you then, Jay. All right, see you then. Great, Bye-bye. take care.